Hey guys, welcome, welcome. Happy Tuesday night. Welcome to a Tuesday night podcast here. We are live and Melissa is joining me. Melissa's back. I think last Tuesday, were you on vacation? I was on vacation, but now I'm back. Now you're back. Mm-hmm. How was vacation? It was perfect. It was wonderful. A wonderful week away. Yeah. Yeah. I need that myself. <laughs> yes, you do. We've been very busy, guys. We have had a lot of uh, inquiries into the office uh, as resulting from our podcast. We love it. We love hearing from you. Um, we've had a lot of people calling in the office, sending emails, and the market is so crazy right now. The housing market is, it seems like it changes every day. Um, it's a roller coaster ride. So we still have a lot of buyers out there that are um, waiting you know, waiting for the uh, more of price reductions than what they're seeing right now. Uh, and we're waiting. The Fed met today. Fed meets tomorrow. By tomorrow, 2 o'clock Eastern time, we should know what's going on. So um, the economy is still roaring, mm -hmm. according to the numbers. June, 9.1% inflation rate takes us... Uh, Back to like 1981, I yeah. think, is uh, we have not seen inflation as high as we're seeing now since 1981. And um, so the Fed's meeting right now, they're talking about raising uh, the interest rate, central bank's interest rate, uh, and that affects everything, financing. They're expecting to go anywhere from three quarters of a point to a full basis point tomorrow to announce that. They're not meeting in August, so they're meeting in September and throughout the rest of the year. So they've raised uh, the interest rate about half of where they want it to be. So we're expecting to go another maybe um, double what they've done so far this year or maybe more uh, to try and curb inflation. And so a lot of people are watching the 10-year treasury bills. We're not going to go too deep in the weed, weeds on this, but that's what really affects mortgage rates. Uh, but when the Fed raises interest rates, it affects consumer spending so much because it affects the amount that businesses pay for loans when they're financing inventory, and sometimes payroll, uh, growth, so they start pulling back. Uh, it affects consumer credit card debt, car loans. And then, you know, ultimately it affects investors. So investors right now seem to be scrambling on what to do with their money. We're not stock advisors or, you know, financial advisors. I'm a real estate broker here in Maryland, uh, but I do understand a, a good portion of what drives our financial markets and certainly what's happening in the real estate market. But what is really the concern tomorrow when the Fed announces um, two things. Number one, they may announce that we're in a recession, which many of us believe that we are. That's two quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, they may announce that we're either headed straight to the recession or we're in a recession. Um, they are probably going to announce a 
three-quarter or a full basis point hike in rates. And what that does is really sends a message across really our whole economy that um, things aren't good. Right. And so this affects investors at large and really affects the um, or can affect the 10-year treasury yield, which is where we get mortgage rates for the most part. 30-year fixed mortgage, conventional mortgage rate follows closely the treasury um, yield. And what the 10-year treasury, essentially, you know, investors lend money to the U.S. government. It's backed by government money. And that money becomes more stable than mortgages. You know, investors think that mortgages are riskier than treasury bills. So in order for them to invest in mortgages, they have to get a higher return on money. So we'll see. The next day is going to really scream uh, loudly on uh, our consumer confidence. And yeah. I think we're going up. In yeah. I mean, we are seeing where the gas prices aren't nearly as high as they used to be. Um, they're still incredibly high um, for many parts of our country. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. We do have a question from Happy Hippo. How high can interest rates go up for housing? I mean, that's the question. And we appreciate your questioning. By, by the way, guys, we are live, so we would love to have you comment your questions. We'll try and get to as many of them as we can. Uh, but let's go ahead and pull it up. Nobody, we don't have a crystal ball, obviously, but this is a great question. But here at this chart, um, really, we've watched interest rates sort of come down a little bit um, since this chart. But when you look at where we are right now, we're just under 6%, 5 5.6%, 5.7%, 5.75%, depending on where you go online. Um, and whether you're putting, now this is all based on 20% down a lot of it, but still decent, you know, mortgage rates, mm -hmm. 30 year fixed conventional mortgage. Uh, when you look at this chart, really, um, we have not seen mortgage rates rise up to this, um, number since really the recession that we were in, in the 2008 housing crisis. Ever since then, you can see that mortgage rates have been low, lower than they have historically. Uh, this dates back to the early 70s, and um, the 60s even. Um, interest rates were seven and a half percent. So when we're looking at the, you know, the many decades of mortgage rates in America, we are still pretty low. But the problem is with that scenario is that our home prices have never been higher. And we just came off a historic time where interest rates were down at 2.30 or mortgage 2.75%. And that really shot home prices up, but that really brought our, our house prices to record-breaking highs. Now, of course, as the Fed is now raising rates, the investor confidence is not so hot. We've watched mortgage rates shoot up to where, you know, people are paying in some cases 50% more for the same loan than they did just a year ago. And as we know, you know, 
that has to do something, right? So it's going to do a couple things. Number one, it's going to put pressure, downward pressure on home prices uh, because we don't think that interest rates are going to go back to 2.75% again. We think they're going to stay probably 6 7% in the next several months. Um, and so we don't see that the interest rates are, should come down too much, if at all. And so now we've got a problem with consumers or buyers not being able to afford to pay for the houses. This chart here, and we show this a lot. Yeah. Um, we'll drop the link below. You guys can check it out in more depth. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can see over time, the home prices, this is median home prices in the U.S. You can see how they've shot up um, and dipped you know, up and down through the years. And then in the last two years, almost a vertical line. Well, I think that's the thing. Um, we had a gentleman call into the office today saying that, you know, he'd been watching. And again, we really appreciate all the feedback that you guys give us. But he had mentioned that when he purchased a home, it was between nine and 12% and that he looked at the 2% as a quote unquote fluke. Um, but the home pricing was completely different. So it's um, it's not exactly, it's an apples to oranges type of comparison. Yeah, and a lot of the prices that we've seen, uh, there it was a perfect storm. So buyers were going absolutely crazy uh, in their uh, exuber with their exuberance and competing for houses. We saw, you know, just these bidding wars. I and mean, believe me, it was a very stressful time for everybody. The sellers were the the happiest at the party. Um, but the buyers were completely stressed out. We watched buyers lose six, seven, 10 deals, 15 deals. Agents were getting to the point where they didn't even want to write offers. They were calling up and just basically saying, is it worth it to write an offer? This is where we are. Mm -hmm. So um, needless to say, that has halted. Yeah. yeah. Stopped. Right. I mean, it's thank goodness in many ways. Uh, we've watched buyers pull back because of the interest rates, primarily changing their affordability to whether they could afford the the home. RRR, David, one, we thank you. How far do you think housing prices are going to fall? This is a this is the gazillion dollar question here. Um, you know, I have said that I think across the median home price in most of America, I'm predicting at least 10%. Um, I know a lot of people say that I'm crazy, that it's going to be way more than that. We're going to see a bigger than an 08 crash in housing. I think some markets you will see. Uh, but if, I mean, think about this. If we're talking about a realistic price of $500,000 on a house, a $50,000 price decrease on that house would be a very welcome change to a lot of buyers. Yeah. Uh, especially if it would comp out at 500,000. In other words, appraise for 500,000. Um, but um, a couple things that we have to consider here. When we looked at the home price chart that shot up almost vertical in the last two years, a lot of that was driven by buyers paying $50,000, 10% more on average across America, 10% more for the list price. So they were thinking house price 500,000 will give 550. And not only that, but we will waive 
the fact that it has to appraise for 550. We're going to say it only has to appraise for 500,000. We'll bring the extra 50 grand cash. So when I'm predicting a 10% decrease in home prices, I'm considering where the house should be priced, where it would comp um, or appraise, and not any over asking price offer. Um, I'm not going to say ever because in mm -hmm. some markets it's, we're still seeing it. But for the most part, no one's asking, you know, offering over list price um, if they don't have to. I mean, why would they, right? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, they're, they don't know what to do. And there's a question that came in from Jay Fu, looking to build custom home on five acres in Frederick, Maryland, thinking about holding off. A lot of people are feeling the same way. Building materials are so far up. I was just talking to a builder client. Um, is in the middle of, the of building a house right now, and he's probably two hundred thousand. And we're talking about a six hundred, probably six fifty all in right now, which is two hundred thousand more than he wanted to be, roughly, uh, just from just from the increase in costs, labor, materials, things like that. Now, one of the reasons that this has happened is because the contractors are busy. But I think if you're looking at building and you have a builder, building a house, first of all, is very risky business, especially if you're going with independent builders. I've built houses. Um, you know, uh, you have to make sure that the builder is financially solvent. Um, you have to really control your spending because, you know, uh, you probably are going to have a loan and a budget and things can run over budget. And usually because a lot of it is because the home buyer, when they get into the, you know, they're the ones building the home, they get into it and they end up wanting different fixtures and things that are higher than what was budgeted and it adds up fast or they want to change order. They walk through the house and say, wow, I really wasn't planning on the closet being this small. It needs to be bigger or whatever. Uh, but building a home can be the best thing in the world. It can be the biggest nightmare in the world and um be a terrible experience but if you are considering building um you may want to hold off a little bit see what happens I, I think if the if we start to see more pullback we start to see less consumer spending because of increased rates you may seek where contractors are going to be not as busy and they will be willing to build for less or work for less uh, so you may see a big reduction in new housing. We're seeing a major slowdown in new construction. Yeah. Yeah. Major slowdown. And there's a lot of factors why. And, you know, there was a time where people didn't really want to fight for the house and going the new construction route was an easier path for them. Yeah. If you bought a new house in the last 18 months, you felt a, a complete different pressure. Yeah. So what was happening, like Melissa said, um, a lot of buyers were so fed up of bidding on houses and not getting it. And I mean, think about it. You know, a lot of people were taking their kids through the house. They were picking bedrooms. They were getting excited. I mean, I had buyers who were like, we're not even bringing the kids because 
until we get a house because they're it's so upsetting. You know, they get yeah. excited, they envision themselves there, they get outbid. It was crazy. So a lot of buyers turn to the new communities. And you know, the the builders, I mean, they executed this beautifully, in my opinion. I mean, they reduced the amount of homes that they sold every month, which really pumped up the demand. They increased the price on every house in that particular month, a lot of them, just because they sell one. They have five houses to sell in a month. If you're the first house, you got a better price than the fifth house within that same month. Prices just kept going up. Yep. And you were pressured to pick the lots. So you would look at you know the lots that were available that they released because they weren't even releasing all the lots in the community. They're building out the courts uh, methodically to work to their benefit, obviously. Uh, and a lot of buyers bought very expensive new builds um, and wound up realizing that the quality of the new build construction with the lack of labor force right. um, and the rush job that they were doing to get these houses built were very disappointed with the product. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of jammed on them. You know, look, new builders, I'm sorry. I, you know, you know, a lot of new builders, I mean, they cut some, there's so many corners that get cut on the, the houses when they're built. And I'll give you one example in a community that is local here in Maryland. Um, you know, almost $800,000 house. And um, the bedrooms, I mean, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. So, almost an $800,000 house. And they built it like a house that was built back in the fifties, as far as the heating and air system, in my opinion, because what they did was they put a return in the primary bedroom. Okay. And a return actually in the summertime, and we get hot here, you know, many months of the year, even into the fall, but the returns pull the heat out of the room. And then you have your supply lines that put the air conditioning, the cooler air in. So it's circulating, sucking the hot air out. And what they did is in the primary bedroom, they actually put a return, which we see in so many houses, the way it should be built. But bedroom two, three, and four, no return. What they did was they built, they cut through the drywall above the door, a pass, passage to where the return in the hallway would suck the air out poorly, probably, out of the hot bedrooms unless they left their doors open. So if the people wanted to close their bedroom, two, three, and four, wanted to close their door, they didn't have a return in their bedroom. I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking about a couple thousand dollars yeah. at most, yeah. right? I mean, almost an $800,000 house, guys. I mean, it's crazy. I know. I know. And that wasn't it. I mean, from the finishes, there's um, a lot of things were subpar, unfortunately. Yeah. You experienced this. You I did. You saw it firsthand. Firsthand. Yeah. Yep. It was amazing. But, you know, I mean, hey, look, you know, um, I, I think new home construction, look, there, there was an article that just came out, in fact, here, um, Newsweek just a couple hours, seven, eight hours ago, posted an article, sales of new single family homes in the U.S. dropped by 8.1 percentage points in June, according to the Census Bureau. Now, it's kind of important here. The West has been impacted the most in the country. 
uh, for new homes, especially. Mm -hmm. But um, in May, we saw a modest increase in new home sales in the country over April. But then now we've seen a 16.6% drop, month on month drop to the lowest level now in the end of June, the lowest level then pre-pandemic, right? And to give you some kind of an idea in the country, um, 590,000 home sales, new home sales in the country in June against the May's rate of 642,000 new homes. So that's a big drop. And again, most of it, 50,000 homes dropped in the in the West. They went from 177,000 sales in May to 112,000 in June. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to follow up on that, we've got a comment from Ant01. I pretty much sold myself out of a home October last year. Prices and rates went up since I sold. I got priced out of all offers on a new home. Only hope seems to be price drops. So by hanging in that holding pattern, I think, you know, I think there, there's lots, lots of people like that. Well, it's been said that about almost 80% of the buyers have dropped out of the market because of the rate hikes. I don't see rates going down anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I think that we are going to see downward pressure on, uh, on home sales. Uh, if you have to sell, if you're a seller and you have to sell, be prepared to take less money. Mm -hmm. Depending on the competition in your neighborhood and depending on your demand. Uh, Melissa, we could talk about price reductions. I mean, we've got major price. Oh reductions my gosh. Yeah. And you know, we, we visited this before and now it's, it's even more. Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. As of today, 3,029 actives, 642 of them have been price reduced, which is 21%. It's <laughs> one in five houses, Nashville, Tennessee, Reduced. Phoenix, Arizona, 6,595 actives. You ready for this? 2,447 have reduced 37%. I think Phoenix, Arizona is going to be leading the race on um, the pullback in, in home values. I mean, they shot up high. I think they're coming yeah. back down. Yep. Um, you have a couple of them. Yeah, I do. Looking. Las Vegas is up there too. Las Vegas, 8,007 were active. You've got 2774 with price reductions. That's 34.6%. Substantial. It's up there with Phoenix. Absolutely. And then even in the Northeast, we've talked about how, you know, it's not as drastic up there still. Boston, Massachusetts, you've got 1713 active, 360 price reduction, 21% in Boston. That's big. I know. That's big. Yep. Out of everywhere in the country, the Northeast has been strong until yeah. now. Yep. Yep. And now we're starting to see the reductions. Oh, yeah. It's, gonna be it's happening, guys. Absolutely. You know, the buyer exuberance that we've experienced in the last 18 months has been really upsetting. And in fact, a lot of the complaints that the real estate commissions across the country are being faced with right now are complaints about, um, 
you know, buyers buying houses that um, they weren't, they didn't disclose certain things. Um, you know, let's face it. I mean, the last 18 months, call it 24 months, has probably been the biggest run on sellers not needing to fix anything or very little. Mm-hmm. So imagine these sellers have been living in their house, knowing that this is broke, that's broke, whatever. And they go, hey, we're going to get top dollar for the house and we're not going to have to fix anything. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, they didn't even have to worry about, you know, I, I would hear a lot where people would say, should I get a home inspection before I sell? And then, you know, there's pros and cons, but a lot of the agents will say, don't get a home inspection because then if you find out things, you, you may have to disclose it. So let's just let them get a home inspection. And a lot of the buyers won't because they're competing and they're just going to give it all away because they want the house. So they walk through the house, they go through open houses, guys. And this is not today. This is not today. No. You know, we're having open houses. I can tell you this is not the case. We're seeing two and three people come through an open house, five people come through an open house instead of 50. I know. Right. So what we were seeing is there were people coming through an open house, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. I mean, you couldn't even move. It was so hot. You know, cars, it's like a parking I mean, you've lot. You've seen it. You've, seen the, middle of you've the street. seen the video where people are like arriving early and there's a line before they even open the door and they're coming in and no one's even prepared. I mean, sure. yeah. Yep. Driving down the street, you see a traffic jam. It's an open house, right? Yep. So a lot of these buyers putting in offers, they just want it. Yeah. The biggest thing is we, from not having inspections, buying as is, they're now waking up. As they should. I mean, enough is enough. It's, it's, it's not, it's not advisable. And it wasn't back then either, but they wanted it bad enough. That's what they were willing to do. So the biggest thing, guys, if you're looking for a house, I can tell you a lot of the complaints that uh, we're seeing, the number one complaint is poor airflow through the house. The big issue. Uh, they Even if they get a home inspection, a home inspector goes out, points the infrared meter at the vent, turns the air conditioning on the heat on and says, hey, it's blowing out at this degree or whatever. Uh, but like I just mentioned earlier, you know, poor venting, poor returns, a lot of times one system, one heating and air system in a whole house, 16, 1800 square foot, 2000 square feet, the top floors, 10, 15 degrees hotter than the first floor. People don't really realize it till they get in to the house, they move in. Um, and then they find out that, Hey, in order to fix that it might cost them 10 or $15,000. Seen a lot of issues with sewer lines, older houses, uh, people neglect to get a two or $300 sewer scope. They move in, they find out they're using the house Have one situation where the washing machine was taken. And, but soon as the people move in, they put a washing machine on the drain that is connected, the discharge to the washing machine is under a slab. It's clogged, um, overflows into the house and into the garage. Mm. Uh, so sewer line inspections, big. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, if you're selling right now, you're selling in this market. I want you want to make sure that be, what we're saying here, the pullback in buyers, buyers are now more savvy. Um, just some additional 
uh, comments here. We've got Cherub Fire Peace also in the Northeast. Some realtors are not even going to open host houses with clients. We could talk about that for a second. So, yeah. uh, you know, a couple comments on that. And hey, we really appreciate your comment. You know, in um, in all fairness to the agents, um, you know, because we experienced this too. I personally experienced it. But a lot of times, you know, buyers, the time that they can go out and look at houses are on the weekends. Well, what happens is if there are open houses, um, you know, a lot of times a buyer will go to a house and look at it and they're not interested in it for whatever reason that is very obvious. So a buyer can actually take advantage in a certain area by popping through to a couple open houses while their agent's showing another client. I mean, that's the, you know, you can only as an agent, I mean, unfortunately, you can only show so many houses on a Saturday and a Sunday. So, you know, I'm not against that happening. You know, I think that if a buyer's going through an open house, they should announce that they do have an agent, register mm -hmm. that agent with the open house. Uh, but I do think it's a good opportunity for people to not feel the pressure. And a lot of times what happens is buyers don't even have agents and they say they do just because they don't want to be pressured right. by a salesperson walking yep. through. Yep. Yep. Very, very true. And follow up, totally understand that can't go to all of them. So yeah, but thank you for the comment. I mean, it is, you know, and a lot of times people don't realize, I mean, it's, you know, um, it has been such a hot market and, you know, and, you know, like everything else, I mean, it's, you know, we get busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. K, Chicago is starting to slow. So it's been interesting because a lot of people, you know, they make their comments. We're not seeing it. We're not seeing it. We're not seeing it. And now people are like, yeah, we're starting to see it. We're starting to, you know, see those reductions, which has been slowly but surely happening and now building. See a comment here, Melissa. We bought a house in March. Was it a mistake? And guys, this is probably one of the biggest things. And look, you bought in March. You had a great interest rate. Um, you know, a lot of this comes down to how long you're going to stay in the house, yeah. you know, and Joe, if we could pull that home sales chart back up again. And, you know, a lot of times guys, if you're planning on staying there mm -hmm. and it's the perfect scenario for you and your job is stable and you can afford the payment and still be able to live life, then you probably did not make a mistake. Yeah. If you need to sell in three or four years, we're going to find out. And one of the important things I want to show here on this chart was when we saw one of the most major downturns. And by the way, um, to all the people that are listening that say, or have heard house prices never go down, it's purely not. So um, you can see in each one of these, you know, uh, through the years, each one of these downturns and these gray bars are recessions, but you can see that in each one of these downturns, home prices have dropped mm -hmm. and you know the home prices are also very market specific and things can affect home prices like major companies going out of business or relocating and things like that uh, can affect an area we learned from Detroit Michigan when you know all the major uh, auto manufacturers bailed out of Detroit and a lot of them took their, you know, their manufacturing plants overseas into, you know, less expensive areas. And it crushed the economy. And in fact, 
um, decades coming back out of that. But anyway, when you look at this, what what can happen here and through the history of time, real estate prices go up. You could see that. I mean, this is since the beginning in the 1960s, uh, this tracking, it, it goes up. Yeah. But if we focus on certain times, if you look here in 1990, this recession we had in 1990, you could see that real estate prices kind of flattened out over the next couple of years. And what happens is if you have to sell in that period, and you bought, let's say, in 1989 when the peak was, and then we saw the recession, and then in 1990, the house prices came down. If you had to sell in that next couple of years, you probably lost money uh, because the reason why the home prices weren't continually going up is because there wasn't the demand like we've seen, right? Yeah. Yep. So the same thing kind of happened in 08. And you could see a period in 08 where we got down to about the lowest point um, when in 06 was probably the top. So if you bought in 06, you were probably to 2013 before you could sell for what you paid for your house in 06. Mm -hmm. So again, you can buy in the top of the market. Um, so when you're, when the, a lot of people were inquiring and they're saying, did I make a huge mistake? Did I, I bought in March or I bought in December of last year, you know, What's going to happen with that? Um, you know, am I in trouble? As long as you continue to pay your fixed rate mortgage, your payment's not going to go up. Your taxes and insurance may go up a little bit, but it's going to be insignificant. And the big thing that you have to focus on is don't lose your job because the number one reason for foreclosure we know in the United States is job loss. It sends people in a spiral. Unemployment isn't typically enough to pay all your income, your household debt is your probably your largest uh, you know, bill, your largest expense. And so as long as you hang in there, you can hold on to it. You should be fine, but you're just going to have to wait five, six, 10 years before you get out. And by the way, that goes fast. So mm -hmm. it does. hopefully you bought a house you love. Um, another, to, to follow up with what you were just saying, Jeff in Utah, my assessment went up 33% in 2002 from 2021. It's going to be a lot of this. Hey, it's a business for the government too, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, look, I'm, I'm one of the guys that said, Hey, look, the fed should have raised a rate a long time ago. Yeah. You know, so we keep these rates low. It pumps the prices up. Guys are getting in many states expensive transfer recordation fees based on yep. the sale price of the house. Government is grabbing that money. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're making property taxes. A lot of states have homestead credit. Uh, if it's your primary resident, you're capped on the amount of increase that you can have mm -hmm. every single year. But for sure, I mean, these new home prices have sure made a revenue stream for our, our government. Mm -hmm. And another question, which we see come up a lot, Lexi, I wonder when the 250 to 300K range will see good deals. The only reductions I see are upper 300,000 and up lately. And that's true. It's a very competitive price range. Yeah. And it's going to change depending on where you are throughout the country. So in Maryland, depending on what county we're in here, you know, there's a high demand for the 250, 300, you can still get it. 
in a lot of the areas in Baltimore and the Baltimore County. Uh, but as you get into some of the other surrounding counties, I'll call it a sweet spot, right? Where everybody, we've got a lot of buyers in that range, uh, but we could shift one county, go closer to DC yeah. and that price range may be 400, 450. Uh, but every state, county area has that, um, you know, what would be considered the more affordable housing and the demand is certainly higher on that. And by the higher interest rates, it's even put more buyers into that category because now the ones that could have, you know, four or five months ago afforded, you know, another $50,000 in a house. Now they're being pushed back down into, you know, that lower, you know, affordable range. Um, and the problem is it's almost impossible to build that, you know, affordable housing. And because there's so much red tape and development and it takes so many years to go through, um, you know, all the phases a developer or builder needs to go through to produce that lot, they want to make as much profit as they can. So if they can sell a 600000 or $800,000 house on that lot versus a $300,000 house, they're going to make a lot more money. And so it just so happens that affordable housing is going away. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know you had mentioned people who bought in 2006, maybe they were in the plus in like 2013. I know people that just got in the plus with everything that just happened in the past two years. Um, Lore made a comment, bought March 2007 in North Florida. Price continued to drop for several years. Finally sold July 2014, 60000 less than I paid. I remember Florida in 2008, 2009. Um, I was in Orlando and I was looking at condos that were um, $30,000 for two-bedroom, two-bath condominium in Orlando. Um, it's crazy. I mean, that, that's the difference. I mean, so certain areas they get, you know, certainly a lot of this was new construction. So when we're looking at the new builds that are out there, you know, a lot of people have been saying that we're in a housing shortage and that is only a temporary scenario. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not in a housing shortage at all. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, some of the you know, the lowest population growth, the only difference is more single people are buying houses where back in the 70s, single people didn't buy houses. You know, um, there were, you know, multiple um, people in, in a dwelling. And so now we're seeing a lot of single people buying houses, it drove the demand up. Then we get hit with COVID, supply issues. Uh, you couldn't, finish the product. But when this product comes on the market, so many people bought, first of all, I can't even tell you what's going to happen in the Airbnb market. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many people I know that have bought Airbnbs, vacation rentals all throughout the country. I mean, I have a friend of mine in Florida. Uh, he's a real estate broker. He says he lived in this condominium uh, complex right on the beach. And he said, it was vacant. There were no mm no units available to buy, but all the people from the Northeast, people from California, they were buying them a second home, second rentals. And, you know, for most of the time, no one is even in there. Well, as soon as all these costs lists are going higher and higher and higher, I know people are going to be getting, wanting to get rid of those second and third and fourth houses that they have. Mm. You know, it's really something to think about. I haven't even thought about the Airbnb market. That's uh 
That's a whole other podcast for another day. Wow. So what else we got? What other questions we have here? We've got um, Tanya B. I'm here in South Florida. I've been looking for a year and a half. Down payment and closing costs, not an issue. It's the overall monthly payment that's making it hard for us with these overpriced houses. So price is important than interest rate. So in my opinion, you know, through time, you can refinance a property and you can pay down a property if you can afford the house. Uh, you know, God bless you if you can get in in a 15-year mortgage. Put as much money as you can down on the house. Sometimes, guys, and there are people that disagree with what I'm saying. And a lot of the people that disagree are, you know, they listen to these infomercials, these get rich, you know, invest in real estate or invest whatever and retire on passive income. Well, that's not the bulk of us, right? I mean, we're looking yeah. for housing. Yeah. Looking for a place to live to raise our families, to, you know, be safe, enjoy our life and own something. And in a lot of cases, buying a house, investing in a house is the only investment a lot of people ever make. So when you think about, you know, people that are going to work every day, you know, covering the basics, just want to have a nice lifestyle. They don't want to be house poor. They yeah. want to be able to go on vacation, do things, have a car, so for most people, a, a home is an investment that they sometimes the only investment they ever make. And then when they get older, they sell it and reap the profit. Hopefully that's what their, their goal is, right? Mm -hmm. Be able to sell and make money. Mm -hmm. So the price of the house is way more important than the interest rate in a lot of ways. Because if interest rates do go down, you can refinance them, but you can't rebuy it at a cheaper price. So if we're thinking about from an investment standpoint, obviously real estate's always been buy low, sell high. Um, sounds simple. So when we're looking at, you know, however long you're going to be in there, you know, price is even more important if you want to try and profit if you need to sell in five years or seven years. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're facing right now is people can't afford the payments because the house prices are high and interest rates are high. Mm. Higher, not, mm -hmm. not certainly not high. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> back yeah. in the eighties, mortgage rates were 18%. Right. Right. That's a credit card bill. Very true. Benjamin Fajardo the move up buyer will be hibernating for the next five plus years with their low mortgage interest rates. They will either add to their home, buy a vacation home, or buy an expensive car. You know, uh, we're seeing generational housing happening right now where a lot of people are moving back in. The parents are giving the kids the whole house and they're moving to part of the house or they're building a little suite or, you know, in law suite uh, for them to live in. Because yeah, when you're looking at interest rates, if you bought in the last 10 years, you're somewhere around 4%, right. four and a half percent. So, you know, sellers are looking at, and this is what happened when we started seeing variable rate mortgages uh, in the eighties, because, you know, people had bought in the seventies, interest rates went up in the eighties and people were like, I mean, they stayed in the house for 30, 40, 50 years. They didn't sell and buy like we, have done in my generation. Um, and we may get back to that to where people are like, well, why would I sell my house right. when I have no place to go? And, um, 
I'm going to be paying more for less house. Yep. Why would you? I mean, you're locked in at a at a low rate. It's working for you. If you don't have to move, yeah. I mean, people are going to stay put for quite some time. Yeah. Absolutely. We got East Sal. Yes, I'm waiting. It does not feel like 2008 yet, but still plenty of jobs and homes still selling at asking, if not over. We're not seeing it so much. I mean, and if it is, so guys, this is what we are experiencing right now. And a lot of people across the country, and I'm talking to friends throughout the country, they're basically echoing the same thing. The house is going on the market within the first two or three days. We're seeing it all. We're seeing it all. So the buyers are either tracking that area. It's in a price range. They're curious. They hit the open houses or they set the appointments and then it's crickets. Yeah. And we may see one or two sporadic showings from there. And so we are seeing that the houses that are hot, that are presented well, we're seeing them go under contract still pretty quickly as long as they are reasonably priced. Mm -hmm. If they just stick a number on it, that's ridiculous. That's the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, as a seller right now. You need to be realistic um, and you need to capitalize on those first couple showings. Yeah. The first offer is traditionally the best if you're selling. Um, when we get those first offers in, it's the most excited offer. The one that comes forth the most wants to be there, right? So it's the most excited offer. Uh, I encourage everybody to try and work with that. Try and work with that. If it's a if it's a doable number, if they're reasonable terms, if it seems like it's going to close, um, I think that's important. And there and and along that, Melissa, I want to I want to mention two things. I did want to make sure that we talk about this sure. because. If you're a buyer and a seller in today's market, you want to be reasonable if you want the house, right? You want to be reasonable. Now, if you don't have to buy and you don't have to sell, don't listen to this. But if you really want the property and you really want to sell the house, you know, the buyer really wants the place, the seller really wants the place, be reasonable in your expectations. You know, negotiate on the price if you feel it's too high. And, you know, if you can get some kind of a read on it, but the two important things that I want to talk about right now, which are critical to buyers and critical to sellers, because they both mean two different things. Number one is the home inspection. Very important to not waive the home inspection. Number two is the financing contingency, because in a lot of buyers that where I'm fielding their questions across the country, the biggest remorse that they're having if they get themselves in trouble, a lot of times your biggest out, and I'm not trying to tell you to get out of your contract, but your financing contingency hinges, a lot hinges on that. Okay. Because if you can't qualify for the loan for whatever reason, it's built in most of the contracts, at least here in Maryland. If you have financing contingency, it's dependent upon you getting the loan. Two important things. If it's a cash deal, there's no financing contingency. And if you waive your inspection right, then you're really screwed, in my opinion, if you're a buyer. The reason it's important for a seller is because if you're looking at an offer that's coming in with an inspection contingency, you have to think about the condition of your home and you have to be reasonable. Remember that word I said, reasonable. 
So you have to know that if a buyer is going to come through your home, this is a different market than it was three months ago. And they're going to do an inspection on your house. You're probably going to have to fix some things, right? So you have to be expecting it. You have to be reasonable because if you aren't going to fix something, then you better let that be known before you go under contract. And if you're an agent for the seller, the financing contingency is important because you want to make sure that they can afford it, that they can buy it. Because if it, the house falls through and you're representing a seller or you're the seller and your house falls through, that is now can be catastrophic for you because we don't have as many buyers. Mm. Buyers are going to come through. You pick the wrong offer, whatever it is. You try and go with the highest price, but it falls through versus the reasonable offer. Now's the time you've got to really, you got to take a look at these offers. You got to be smart because you may not get another one for a long time. And the last thing you want to do is have to put it back on the market. Be really tough. Todd, those were excellent, excellent points. I want to show something here, Melissa. Um, This is my chart that I made. And a lot of people want to know about house prices and where is it going down to? And, you know, how does it happen? How does it all, you know, what drives prices to go up and what drives prices to go down? Obviously, supply and demand plays a big part. Now we're starting to see more supply. It's still not, you know, there aren't 50 houses in the neighborhood for sale, but now there's a couple we're seeing more than there were just months ago. So there is more competition. Um, But when what happens is, and this chart kind of shows, you know, the curve to the price peak. And I just put $460,000 as a price peak in there. The red is showing decline. The black is showing an increase, which is what we've seen over the last two years. Mm -hmm. But the biggest important thing with this is to think about is we're chasing a downward trend right now. So as the market worsens, and it will, because interest rates are going to go up, affordability is going to go down, we're going to be in a recession. I'm telling you, it's just coming, right? I mean, if you can't see what's going on out there, we've been printing money, and there's going to be a wake-up call here for a period of time. So what's happening, if a seller needs to sell, what they do in a lot of this scenario is they'll try and beat the downward trend. And as time goes on, the worse the market gets, the less the pricing, you know, the prices decline, they go down. So let's just say right now in this chart, if we were at the peak at 460, let's just say now we're between 445 and 430, okay, for that 460 peak house. If you're a buyer and you can buy in that range, you'll probably get the house if you put an offer in. But as we get closer in time, if that if we continue to decline, we're going to get closer to the 415. So what sellers have to think here is okay, I'm at 445, I got an offer at 430, should I take it? 
because if the market gets worse and we go to 415, I would have been better off taking the 430. And then there becomes a point in time where the buyer says, well, I'm at 430. I'm going to offer them 415. And they can see how this happens. This is a vicious cycle, right? And the longer houses spend on the market and the more competition that comes and the less buyers we have, the bigger the chase to the bottom. So this is kind of, you know, I just want to kind of give you this analogy here to let you know if you're buying or you're selling, you have to know where you are in that, right? You have to be reasonable. Remember I said reasonable is the word mm -hmm. right now. We want to mm -hmm. be reasonable with our expectations, uh, you know, when we're, if we have to buy or if we have to sell. If you don't have to buy, you may want to wait it out another six or eight months. If you don't have to sell, you may want to wait it out another two years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what can I say? I don't know where the bottom is going to be, but mm -hmm. you've got, it's the sweet spot, just like you said. And then you have all the people waiting on the sidelines on the outskirts of that diagram, just waiting to see what happens and when they're going to have their opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what else we have, Melissa? Esal, keep it, do not sell it to wait to build. If you sell it and use the money for down down the market may evaporate in the down payment. Remember, you cannot refinance the principal. We had a we had a situation here uh, recently. You can check out our last video, but we had a um, wanted to talk about. We were talking about money down things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about down payment money, earnest money deposit here in Maryland. And guys, if you're buying a house. Um, and you know, I have an agent. I mean, I always say lean on your agent representation. You know, I hope you have a good agent. You know, there are a lot of great realtors out there, um, you know, that, that understand the market. They have a pulse on the market, um, interview agents, get an idea of how they negotiate, how they work, what their opinion is of the market. Um, and then you can kind of bounce it off on your beliefs and what you hear and you know pick a good agent but one of the things that i want to talk about here is earnest money deposit because we we've had um you know uh, i won't say a big issue with it but um but there there is there are always issues with especially in maryland i don't know about your state uh you know check with your agents but here in maryland when you buy a house and you get through your contingency period whatever that is, home inspections, whatever. I get a lot of people that are calling in and they're saying, I want to get out of my contract. I want to cancel. I can't afford it anymore. You know, I feel like I didn't, whatever. Some people, some buyers put down really hefty down payment money. And I want to tell you what my opinion is on this. My opinion is, you know, somewhere, I always try to buy somewhere around 1% of the purchase price, unless the buyer really wants to put down more and show a little bit more strength and stability in the purchase, especially if it's cash, maybe. But understand that you may not get that deposit back. So if you have a $500,000 house, what I'm saying is a $5,000 deposit can be a lot better than a $50,000 deposit. Because what happens is if something, you back out of that contract for whatever reason, in Maryland, you need both the buyer and the seller to agree to give you back that check for 50 grand. So if you're buying a house and you buy the wrong house and you get into a contract and you back out, if you put all your money down because you wanted to come in strong, may not have been necessary, probably wasn't. And if 
you get cold feet for whatever reason, you back out and the seller gets upset and says, I'm not signing the release. You could be two years by the time you go to court. If there's not an agreement on to give that money back to you, um, or the se seller says, I want it, or the seller says, I want half of it because you squirreled out on me or whatever. And so what I'm saying is if you guys are buying a house, think about how much money you're putting down. And when you put that deposit down, if you're in a state that puts down an earnest money deposit and you know go for the lesser amount that you would need to in case something happens, that that money gets tied up. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of nightmares with this. And um, I suppose from the buyer's angle, is it just that they'd be taken more seriously? I mean, is that the reason or is it just hard to say? You're writing an offer. So if you have a $500,000 house, you're writing a check for $5,000 and you have a financing approval, mm -hmm. you're a bona fide buyer. Yeah. You're, you're a buyer. You're, I mean, you're to be taken serious. Yeah. Now, if somebody comes in with a cash offer with a $5,000 down payment with cash, they may take that cash offer over your finance deal because something could go wrong. Right. But we're seeing now, I mean, a couple things are happening, right? People are making less money in the stock market. Many people, I mean, I'm not an advisor, stock advisor, but you know, I know a lot of people are making, have taken a hit. So they don't have as much cash right now as they thought they did. So they're a little more hesitant to lend their kid money or give them money, mm -hmm. um, give them money, not lend them money, give them money. Um, and they're less, you know, thinking about writing a check for the whole purchase. So cash is backed off, I think, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Charlatan Zimmerman, real estate is like playing poker. Know when to hold them. You know what? Be prepared <laughs> to walk away. And this is what I tell people all the time. You have as a buyer and a seller, a high or a low so if you're buying, you have a high price. And if you're selling, you have a low price. Here's what I always say. And if you're a real estate agent out there, you may want to try it out. What I say to people, look, if you wake up tomorrow, because we're going back and forth with price. If you wake up tomorrow and you lost the house for $5,000, would you be mad? If they say yes, then I say, well, then we might want to give them the $5,000. Right. If you're playing this poker that you're rec you're suggesting here, right? You're playing this game. If you say, you know what? I'm tapped out. That's my top. If I wake up tomorrow morning and I lost it for five grand, it wasn't meant to be. Yep. Then, hey, that's fine. Say the same thing to a seller. A offer comes in. It's $10,000 less. Do we want to negotiate it? Do you want to say no thanks? Do you want to accept it? You know, if yeah. you woke up tomorrow and you didn't have any other offers, you know, they're not beating down the door. If you lost it for 10 grand in 30 days, would you be kicking yourself that you should have taken the offer? If they right. say, yeah, we'd be kicking ourselves. That's a good gauge, right? It's a good gut gauge, a good way to tell, you know, and if you don't have to move and you don't have to buy, you can play harder, right? Mm -hmm. You can play harder. Mm -hmm. If you have a strong backup, if a buyer's saying, hey, I love this house, but there's another one I like just as much, not quite as much, but almost as much. And if I lose this one, we'll make a play on that one, then fine. Mm -hmm. Something we haven't talked about for a minute. How do you feel about appraisal waivers still? A thing of the past now? I think it's nuts. 
my personal opinion, I I think I I mean when I saw the exuberance of people paying fifty a hundred thousand dollars over value on the house, if you have that kind of money and you want it that bad, go for it. But in my opinion, it we got carried away. You saw the line of home prices shoot straight up. It is not sustainable. And it has taken affordability. And there are so many people out there that if they have to sell their house, they're going to sell for less. And no, I, I, my personal opinion is I'm not for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. More of the Fed talking, you know, they're going to be determining if they're going to raise the rates. We talked about that. We know that. Um, George, Nico, Chris. People are going to be underwater on those FOMO purchases, and I will be there to buy when they fall. Yeah, and you know a lot of the a lot of what's happened here, and we've talked about this in prior uh, podcasts. But you know, a lot of the situation with uh, institutional buyers, you know, there are so many institutional buyers that have bought rental houses. I mean, by thousands, yeah, tens of thousands, right? And you know, a lot of this started back in 2011 um you know when i think it was 2011 when they came out with the short sale pilot program um and they offered up you know portfolios of um foreclosed properties to you know investors and with the they had to rent them they had to offer them back to people that were losing them and you know that sort of put the venom if you will, in the institutional buyer, because what happened over the rest is history. We've seen, you know, huge price growth um, through the years th- since 2012 through 2013. And but what we're seeing now is a lot of it is, you know, now that even these renters have said, whoa, whoa, I can't afford this rent. And so we're seeing where even the rental market is is weakening. It's softening. Yeah you know, across the country where, mm-hmm. you know, people can't afford these high, these high rents. So the way that the first kind of wave of when we're talking about multifamily, like apartment complexes, things like that, these amenity rich environments where there's pools and billiard rooms and theater rooms and, you know, uh, work rooms with computer stations and things like that and gyms. And a lot of times what's happening is, you know, they're trying to keep these rates high. But the big indicator is when we start seeing these apartment complexes offering free rent for lease signing. So that's kind of like the first, you know, uh, sign. Because what they don't want to do for their investors is they don't want to say with this $2,400, $2,500 apartment, we can't rent it for $2,500. But what we need to do is give $7,500 in abatement up front by giving three free months of rent for people to come in and rent, sign a 15 year, a 15, sorry, month lease, right? To kind of extend it to secure their high rents. This is sort of like the first wave of things that we're starting to see where apartments are competing. But even the rental market's pushing back. I believe that a lot of these institutional buyers that have bought single family houses are gonna sell these assets to try and make profits for their investors. So I think we're going to see a lot of inventory come mm-hmm. on uh, the market with these mm-hmm. institutional buyers. Right, right. 
Um, there is a question, Benjamin Fajardo, since we are in a transition phase of homes with wish pricing versus the right pricing, how do you deal with the homes with wish pricing? Do you just shoot your shot? So, and I'm saying wish pricing, the sellers are just unreasonable. They just put whatever price on there. You know, what I always do, um, <laughs> you know, I always ask the agent who came up with the price. You know, I like that question. Uh, you know, hey, you know, I see this is sellers pretty confident here. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at, boy, you know, nothing sold for this price in the neighborhood. Uh, where'd the price come from? You know, like, yeah. can you support it? Uh, and a lot of times, and look, I mean, you know, agents say things sometimes that they shouldn't say. A lot of times they'll say, hey, I told the seller, but they wanted to do it for the first two weeks or whatever. These are some of the things that we hear. You know, they want to take a shot. I told them it was too high or whatever. I mean, they you do hear these things. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, um, you know, once that arrow starts going down, boy, it is trouble for the seller. I mean, once the price reductions start, then, right. you know, the buyers really start digging in and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of it's psychology too. The confidence is gone in the seller and they start thinking, Oh, you know, like nobody wants our house and the prices are going down. Um, I, I think that if it's overpriced, you have to call it overpriced and put your, you shoot your price. If it's been on the market for 30 days, 45 days, you're looking at that and you're going, man, this seller's, price too high mm -hmm. take your shot yeah yep somebody exactly. has to do it yeah yep Agreed. you have to be you have to really make sure you want the house now i mean when you're looking at okay i'll give you an example you're looking at a house that's four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and two years ago it was three and a quarter or 350 you're looking at man it's like 460 you're going well what's changed in that house did they renovate it did they put new kitchens and baths in nope 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 mm -hmm. just price appreciation mm -hmm. it's a hot market you have to sit there and say do you want that house yeah do you want to pay top dollar for the house with all the potential issues that you may have to go in and spend money on yeah when you start living in it right you have exactly. to look at that if the answer is no don't do it mm-hmm mm-hmm Yep. And that's something also for, um, we talked about that, you know, price range that was so competitive for some areas, it's that 300 to 350, you know, you might want to just look at homes that have been days on the market a little bit longer. If you're entering in, that probably would be a good place to start. Could have been priced too high to begin with no way of really knowing, but you might have an easier time. If you get into the house and you do a home inspection and there are major repairs, um, there may be great opportunity for you to negotiate, um, you know, if you can still get a loan, if they're not safety issues that would prevent you from getting a mortgage, but they're end of life issues with heating and air systems and end of life issues with water heaters and, you know, outdated electrical systems uh, where, you know, it needs, you know, they're double tap breakers. They're maxed out in the back in the panel. If you want to put a hot tub outside, you could never do it without upgrading the electric. Or if you plug a hairdryer in the bathroom and it blows three quarters of the outlets on the first floor, you know, or the second floor. I mean, you know, these are the kinds of things when you're looking at a house, making sure the systems are good, mm -hmm. expensive stuff. There can be a lot of opportunity for you to negotiate better pricing once you're locked into the house, once you get into inspections, because a lot of the issues that you find on the house, um, 
may have to be disclosed to future buyers. So if that's brought to everyone's attention and say, hey, look, you know, I mean, there's electrical hazard in the house. Now they have to potentially disclose that to potential right. buyers. They're going to have to fix it or drop the price, right? Um, so there is a lot of opportunity for you to get some sweat equity now in a house that's a little bit more distressed that would have sold in six months ago without an inspection. All right, so we'll get ready and wrap it up here, guys. But we really appreciate you uh, tuning in here. We do this live. We also post on Thursday evenings and Saturday mornings. We would love to have you. You know, if you like this video, you could let Melissa and I know that you do by giving it the thumbs up. Um, and if you have not subscribed to our channel, uh, we always appreciate when you do that. If you hit that alert bell, it will let you know every time we upload. And uh, Melissa? Yeah, it's been, I know you guys have a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of unknown. I know the Fed is meeting, you know, we're, we're going to have an answer um, this week. So we also are following along with you in gathering data and living it daily. And we really appreciate, you know, all, all, all of your questions. It's, um, it keeps us on our toes for sure. And reach out. Feel free to reach out mm -hmm. if you need an agent. We're here in Maryland. We'll be glad to help you in-house. If you're in Maryland looking to move to Maryland, uh, if you're anywhere else in the country, we have an amazing agent network throughout. Feel free to drop us a line. S send me an email. Um, TS at SaxRealty.com. We'll drop that below. Uh, send me an email. Uh, give us a call, guys. We appreciate you. Thanks for watching. Until next time. Until next time. All right, we'll see you later.